0: hear me? How do you hear me? Do you hear me, uh, well? Do you hear me clearly and consistently? Fine. Very good. And, uh, and, okay. Very good. Let me add my greetings to everyone. And, uh, I'm delighted that you're here, and I hope there's a lot of people out there on the other end of the uh, our electronic hookup and uh, we'll spread some more of the knowledge of Hashem and uh, I love teaching because I love learning. That's probably why I've stayed in teaching as long as I have, and uh, you people are here because you love learning too and uh, I hope you have many opportunities to do a little teaching and sharing uh in your own lives too. A very beautiful thing and uh, good, okay uh there is you will notice some overlap as is appropriate between our last couple of classes. It's usually the case. Between lessons, um, since we're we're sta- we're developing ideas and uh, trying to demonstrate the uh, consistent presence in the text, certainly within the text of a of a sequential series of parshas like what we've what I've been using to base our discussions out, we'd expect to see very similar principles and of course since I've tried to stay close both to basic uh, Torah principles and also with repeated reference to Noahide laws we should be coming up to some we should be repeating a lot of the same uh, material so what I want to um, try to focus on this evening particularly is the uh, qualities of Esau or Esau as we call him in English that we were considering at the latter part of class last 15 minutes or so last week and what these personal qualities of his of Esau's Uh, show about an entire orientation towards the world and even an entire uh, 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 what they show about an entire way of being in the world and what they show about an entire way of perceiving the world and conceiving the world, of looking at the world, understanding it, responding to it and the people in it and around you and how that Uh, differs from and in many respects as you certainly we can see uh, even from the Peshat the uh, surface level of the text how that differs from and is even opposite to uh, the way in which Yaakov uh, Israel uh, is in the world perceives the world conceives of the world and Responds to and relates with the other people around him in the world. This, of course, has to do with character attributes, and it has to do with specific behaviors, with actions, and with deeds. Um, but it also, it also has to do with, uh, like I say, with the uh, conceptualization. I guess is one word we would use uh, with the kind of perception of and response to the world that gets encoded in a language and that gets in expressed in a language all 70 nations of the world have their own language all of these languages as Noahides know uh, are uh, derived, developed from the one original language which was Hebrew um, some linguists prefer to call it proto-Semitic but there's really not even any disagreement wonder of wonders in the uh, scholarly world about the original phonetic language of mankind uh, having developed in the northern part of Mesopotamia same as the Bible relates um, and uh, from this all the languages of the, uh, and peoples of the world developed all 70 of them we say in the Bible, Uh, and linguists have acknowledged that the number of distinct, truly distinctive languages is is really a lot less than they used to say. I'm sure eventually they'll figure out that there actually are 70, and they're all derived from Hebrew. But um, anyway, I got onto that little sidetrack because we are, as you can see from the list of seven items under Lesson 6 like I always do I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some key Hebrew words some Hebrew words that are key that are central for understanding uh, Esau and Yaakov who became Israel and uh, for understanding a couple of Noahide laws that are related I think particularly at least in the Parsha's Parsha's Toledot and Parsha Vayetzi Partial for last week and this week um, that have to do with the relation of both Jacob and Esau to their parents Yitzchak um, and Rivka now the, you look at number 5 on the list there on the whiteboard you see that I have written down simply a quote bitterness of spirit this is some of you may recognize is a reference to Rebecca or Rivka uh, as we say in Hebrew and a remark that she made that is her words marot ruach kind of interesting construction but basically bitterness, bitterness of spirit or embittered spirit that was caused to her by the elder of the two twins by Asaph, and specifically by Asaph's marriage to Canaanite women we were talking about this at the very end of class towards the very end of class last week because Asaph's having married himself apparently unceremoniously without any kind of uh, uh, any kind of ceremony or preparation worth mentioning in the Torah and that the way this was such a radical such an extreme contrast to the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah arranged by Abraham through the steward of his household Eliezer chapter 24 of the book of Genesis famous, beautiful and extremely meaningful story but we, we saw we noted mainly what, a, what an acute contrast uh, was uh, presented by the behavior of Aesop, number one in ple- suiting himself apparently without m- requesting his parents approval much less their permission even their permission and certainly, marrying against their will. Now look at the care that Abraham, who passed his covenant to Yitzchak, his birth, the birthright to Yitzchak, and the covenant from Hashem, the multifaceted covenant. We discussed that in weeks one and two, namely, that went with it to Yitzchak and the stipulations that Yitzchak's, uh, that his son Yitzchak your only son that you love must not be to one of the Canaanite women because of the idolatrous and promiscuous habits of the Canaanites uh, which eventually caused them to be uh, expelled from their land and replaced by uh, God's chosen people the Jews that was the whole reason it was not arbitrary it was not just that that the Almighty loved Abraham because Abraham loved Him, and and saw that He was uh, eventually there was this process of Mifah and deal of winnowing, and that He had a fine group of people and had a, he needed to give them a land, but He gave gave them a land that just happens to be at the very center of the world. Um, that whose original inhabitants did not merit to possess it or really to possess any land, at least not by Torah standards. But here is Asov, the the elder of the two twins, the children of Isaac and Rebecca, marrying Canaanite women whose idolatrous practices and who knows what kinds of other behaviors they were getting into. What you would expect and what we hear about the Canaanites were a bitterness of spirit uh, to Rivka and uh, an affliction of spirit. It's sometimes also uh, translated. And the uh, text certainly suggests by its sequence that Isaac's problem, problem with seeing, his eyes growing dim as some of the commentators said, was caused by the idolatrous sacrifices of and other behaviors of the Canaanite wives of Asaph. Uh, Sacrifices which he probably was not totally separated from. After all, he was a man of the field. Some commentators even uh, uh, interpret that as being a reference to robbery, that he was at times he would was what the English later would call a highwayman. Uh, certainly it fits that would fit whether or not that's true, and that's an interesting interpretive approach. It certainly fits with character traits he later behaved, and it fits with the blessing that Yitzhak chose to give him when he knew exactly for sure who asaph was by your sword you shall live you'll survive, you'll live by your sword it'll enable you to uh, conquer your enemies but also there's a reference to someone as we say in English to this very day who lives by the sword and as many prophecies tell us uh, Navi Ovadia's prophecy comes to mind first since it's focused explicitly on Esau Um, he will fall by the sword in the same way he will be uh, consumed, he will be like straw for the flame of Joseph and the uh, fire the furnace like fire of Jacob uh, at the end of days Uh, so anyway the the two very this very, this great Esau separates himself there's a key point to make, and I think that's a very good way of putting of linking up uh, several of the items uh, listed there under lesson number six. Esau separated himself from his righteous, loving and gracious parents, Yitzhak and Rivka, before even the uh, situation with the, uh, where Rivka and Yaakov had to deceive Yitzhak so that the blessing would go to the right son, the son that God had had already told Rivka would receive the blessing and merited the blessing. It was, or this was something that was already um, sealed and it was going to happen. Rivka had to act to make it happen, but Esav has separated himself and then he later separated himself in a number of other ways he despised his birthright we talked about that last week um, uh, Jacob insisted and here we had the reference to uh, proper legal kinds of dealings public dealings uh, free choice made on, with reflection and with some, uh, some time spent thinking not just spontaneous spur of the moment, passion-driven actions, which is very much—that's mo- Asof, You know, I'm dying. I'm starving. Pour some of that red, red, into me. Give me the red. It's you know they translate it in my chumash, red stuff. But if you look in the Hebrew, it doesn't even say red stuff. It's just red, red, and therefore they called him Adam, uh, red became his nickname, probably a derisive nickname, as some of the commentators uh, suggest. Because after all, if you're already old enough to go out hunting for game, you could probably wait a few more minutes, or at least you could articulate that it's stew <laughs> and say, give me a bowl of that stew uh, instead of just pour into me the red, red. Uh, right now, uh, Immediately, and I don't care about this birthright. What good is it to me? I'm dying. Give me the red. So, uh, I talked last week about how, you know, for millennia in Western civilization, going back to the Greeks and uh, all through uh, European Judeo Christian civilization, Aesop would be recognized and has been recognized uh, as. an exemplar as a model of the man of appetite as he would be called in morals or in literature and philosophy ethical philosophy he's a person who's driven by his passions he's driven by his passions to demand food in a barely articulate in a barely human way to exaggerate his feelings and say I'm dying to to, uh, to be so mastered by his, his uh, need to eat instantaneously that he spurns his birthright that he despises his birthright even when Jacob says reflect on what you're doing because I want it and I'll take it but only formally and he still despises it he marries the Canaanite women later when he sees that uh, Yitzhak and Rivka are disgusted and send Yaakov away send Jacob away precisely so he will not marry Canaanite women what does is uh, uh, Esav do but without again without asking his parents suggestion even suggestion much less permission or approval he intermarries with Ishmael he takes wife, wives from the uh, daughters of Ishmael Navad's sister Bazamat uh, Amachalat and uh, whatever uh, Bazamad and uh, Mahalat I think whose name means uh, illness an interesting interesting, uh, name certainly so there we have uh, as I probably mentioned but it bears repeating last week there we have the initial uh, genetic uh, intermingling of Eda of Esau and Ishmael, uh, an alliance which continues on the geopolitical level, front and center, and it dominates the world today, it dominates the headlines of every day's media reports, and uh, it continues to be aimed at the same target as it was originally, at the descend- uh, at the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as Ishmael was fooling around with or mocking or scorning the, uh, the the toddler Yitzhak and therefore was sent away just as Asaph so dishonestly blamed Jacob for quote stealing his birthright that Asaph had spurned thrown away stated explicitly was worthless to him and then sold to Jacob so that he became a paradigm of someone who despises their inheritance to this day to sell your birthright for a bowl of pottage was uh, an American English expression probably an English expression too that used to be common uh, someone who would throw away something precious, valuable and central to their identity for virtually for nothing uh, that is uh, asaph so and also the uh, pleasing himself running after his heart despising his or his birthright which means in a way despising himself his identity cutting himself off before he was separated off from the covenant he separated himself he acts for himself that is a characteristic of asaph where I'm going to develop a little bit and use some uh, simple etymology uh, to elaborate soon he separated himself and um, even to the extent the Parsha tells us that he was looking forward to the death of his father looking forward to the days of mourning for his father is a close paraphrase of the per- so that he could murder Jacob. I mean, all in all, this is already a, a, a very complete, uh, consistent, and certainly a very uh, a, a portrait of a person with major and uh, lethal character flaws. Uh, marrying in uh, ways that offend his parents and and not just offend his parents' sensibilities or their taste or their desire to get get up in the world none of those things we know that his parents were focused on holiness and graciousness after all who could possibly be more aware of their spiritual inheritance and of the self-restraint the self-discipline that it requires, that, that then that heritage requires then Yitzhak, who as a grown man allowed himself willingly to be bound down as far as he knew, to be sacrificed, to be slaughtered, killed. So uh, in a way Esau demonstrated by his, own, by his own behavior consistently in, in all of the attributes that went along with the way in which he was a man in the, of the field. How radically different he was from Yitzhak. I know this is the subject of how children, siblings, uh, sisters or brothers from the same two parents can yet turn out to be so radically different from each other. This was a subject that fascinated Shakespeare. It's in most of his greatest plays. And uh, certainly, and um, of course, uh, English culture of 400 years ago was profoundly permeated by the uh, Hebrew scriptures and by the stories of scriptures, and even into the middle of the 20th century, all of uh, European uh cultures continue to be well here's an example asov could not be less uh self disciplined m- not much less uh, much less self restraint could not be that is more of the opposite of yitzhak uh could not be uh in many ways he's more different than his father than he is uh if you read on to the end of his story, even then he is from Rivka. Uh, of cer- certainly, uh, the graciousness, the kindness, the hospitality that made Rebecca so that that so distinguished her from the moment uh, she responded to Eliezer's inquiry, um, certainly are also very different from Asoph, um not least when he is looking forward to his father's death, so that he can murder his brother, which he's got to know will will torment, if not uh, kill his mother outright, because it was no secret that Rebecca loved Jacob. So uh, to tie up all of this uh, important discussion of Esau, or, or to and one way of tying it all up is that it, it connects back to one of the original principles that we discussed in trying to understand the nature of the Eternal One to understand the nature of HaKodesh uh, Boruch himself and that is uh, this freedom this uh, choosing and uh, making a choice something that Hashem so to speak chose to do he chose to create a universe of, for which he has a, absolutely no need but for which he has a desire to have relationship we, we talked about how every human being uh, in, the, in the Judeo-Christian his, uh, civilization and certainly in Judaism and therefore that means all the children of Noah freedom and choosing and and being responsible for making informed, perceptive, thoughtful, uh, reflective choices and then being responsible for the consequences of them and trying to repair them to do tikkun if the results of the choices are not good as we hope them to be, are not in line with the Noahide laws or Torah laws that is essential uh, to the entire creation and to the kind of relation that the eternal relationship the eternal one wants to have with each of us. He wants us to choose him, to choose to turn to him and to address him. And he chose Abraham because Abraham looked to him. And uh, we see Esau choosing over and over and over again, choosing to to please himself in the moment, in the instant to please his appetites, that's why that phrase uh, a man or a person of appetites, and you cannot be predominantly a person of appetites and be and follow the laws of Noah, and you certainly cannot follow uh, uh, Jewish laws, you cannot be at the Torah uh, if you're following your appetite. The whole purpose of these two codes of law is to humanize and uh, to humanize our entire beings so that our eternal neshama, uh, our neshama, our eternal soul that we have from Hashem pervades us as fully as possible. and helps us to be as close to Hashem as we can and to be integrated complete uh, and intact, shalem uh, as opposed to fragmented and uh, made up of bits uh, and and have our lives fragmented uh, in spirit because we're constantly responding to things spontaneously from the passions uh, without or with much, much too little uh, reflection uh, and heart. And therefore if you to the extent you do that, obviously you're cutting yourself off from history. You're a postmodern person, as the expression goes, you know postmodernism in its various forms is the dogma of higher education for the last 25 years. That's uh, a major reason that a higher education has fallen uh, to the degree that it has become a, uh, a battleground of egos and dishonesty, I'm sorry to say. And uh, many, many books and thousands of articles have been written about that. But just, you may have heard this term postmodern or postmodernism. If you watch any baseball games, I'll give you a correlative of this what T.S. Eliot would call an objective correlative, an an objective three-dimensional everyday proof of this idea. Look at the baseball park in Arlington, Texas, which has a generic name, uh, the ballpark at Arlington, and it's probably appropriate that it have a generic name rather than a specific name that is tied to the history of a particular neighborhood or town, and the people who settled it and built it, or even a person who worked for and bought and donated the land it stands on, and uh, was built on, and that it had a, new, uh, a business or an industry or something on that spot, just the ballpark, you know, it could be anywhere. It could be, you could plop, plop, plop it down in North Korea or in Bombay or Brasilia uh, or or in uh Dogpatch Alaska wherever but if you look at that park park you'll notice that every different part of it the right field stand the center field left field behind the plate it all its different parts it looks like it was designed by different architectural firms every part is kind of lovely in an old new old, old antique kind of fake uh, antique way, but they're parts stuck together. It's not a coherent whole. That's postmodernism that has made a given a primacy of place that has made an ideal out of conglomerations of ideas, conglomerations of texts. Everybody make your own collage by taking a piece uh, of history from here and another piece from another century, and another piece from another culture, put it all together, add your ego, stir it up well, uh, uh, put it through a strainer of politically correct uh, slogans, and voila, you've got something that no one can connect to, that has no meaningful history, that will totally dazzle, baffle, and bewilder students who will be cut off from any understanding of any particular culture any particular nation in the past there'll be modern people living in a world state where all of the parts are interchangeable all of the people are interchangeable God forbid but that's what they want human resources and you can plug them all in and make a generic family a generic person a generic workplace one size fits all maximize profits and get rid of all those pesky individual uh, individual national historical and character traits that have distinguished uh, the human beings until this day yet another sign that we are uh, living in the end of days uh, a sign not often noted I think or not often uh, explained uh, in that in this simple but detailed way postmodernism and I'm not, this is not a tangent I'm coming right back to asof and I'm coming right back to the english and the english language and to english and american cultures and their extremely paradoxical relationship with jacob with israel israel the people and israel the nation and how that, that all that paradoxical and complex Anglo-American relationship to Israel la- nation land and people uh, goes all the way back to the conflict between Jacob and Esau, the different ways they respond to their parents they speak to their parents they seek wives for each, each themselves one at the direction of their parents one at his own promptings and uh, give us the main conflict that has characterized the world for 3700 years now that's a history lesson and uh, we're getting uh, we're getting to it here in uh, lesson number 6 of the challenge of the eternal one so before i press on with that and proceed what is this what is the anglo-american language and culture got to do with asof and and how does that inform uh, those cultures relationship with Israel um, let me just mention uh, by way of summing up before going on the Noahide laws we know that sexual profligacy promiscuity you know following your passion to completely and to serve your sexual appetites that is one of the Noahide laws that's forbidden. Obviously, you cannot have any kind of humane civilization in that way for lots of different reasons. It's forbidden. Look at Asav He's an offender. Not only is he not suited for the covenant of Abraham and Yitzhak, which he spurned, which he threw away, and, you know, of course, it's like oil and water. I mean, it's, it, clearly, it's not for him. And he does, he doesn't want it. He couldn't have made it more clear. Um, so Esav not only not that covenant, he cannot he can't follow the Noahide covenant, which we also know prohibits murder. And what is the distinguishing characteristic of Esav? Certainly, all the commentaries stress this: murder. Unless that you think the commentators just spun this off of a few linguistic or etymological hints here and there or some gematria or anything like that just to review the verse uh, we mentioned before Esau was looking forward eagerly to his father Yitzhak's death his father who blessed him although you could say you know if Yitzhak was strictly a person of Geburah which he is a person of strength severity and self-restraint of Geburah only as he is primarily he would not have blessed Esau at all at that point he would have thrown him out of the house so to speak because of his behavior because he spurned the birthright and because of the Canaanite wives that alone would have been enough And, and that the fact that Yitzhak didn't and was quite ready and even eager to bless him shows how much chesed how much of Avraham the love and loving kindness of Avraham was in Yitzhak of course no wonder the rabbis said that they were in their commentary, the sages I should say Chazal, the ancient sages said Yitzhak resembled Avraham so much that they could hardly be told apart physically the resemblance was so strong like father, like son we say to this day even after those terrible uh, terribly uh, rude and contemptuous behaviors, Yitzhak was not only willing but eager to bless Asaph and he blessed him gave him a powerful blessing and still Asaph, had he been at all honest with himself, would have said well, look I spurn the birthright Jacob did tell me to think about it he said sell it to me he just didn't say okay you don't want it I got it finders keepers losers weepers and you know I should have known about the Canaanite wives okay maybe I should change my ways in fact he does kind of say that to himself but it doesn't bring him any farther, to say, farther than to taking Ishmaelite wives uh, wives from uh from Ishmael instead of imitating what his father did and what his parents had sent Yaakov to do to go back to Rivka's family clearly this is someone whose repentance uh, is going to be at best very limited anyways looking forward to his father's death so he could murder his brother say a murderer from that day uh, until this, like so many people who are overpowered by their passions are, they say by me, as the sages say by me and the strength of right hand and the strength of my right hand and nobody else but me, I can do it ok, here's the point to talk about Asop's name and uh, the etymology and what that has to do with English Esau Ion Shin vav but the ayin shin as you know is also the, or you may know is also the root for asah one of the most common verbs in Hebrew and in most languages Of course, it means to make or to do as well as being used for many very common idiomatic expressions like to raise your eyes or to lift up your eyes uh, asah enav literally to, to make your eyes very interesting insight into Hebrew but anyway Esau's name is the root of doing accomplishing making things and that's how in fact he got his name originally because he was covered with the, the fine red hair he was like a coat like a finished coat so he came out He was he was already done he was finished you know already clothed so to speak so they and as the verse says, you can and so they named him asaph from the the subroot ayin shin. Also for the for the verb asah to make or to do, and we see from asaph's the story of his early life that he is a doer. He is very skilled. He's a craftsman he's great at making things he feels extremely competent physically whatever it is aside from hunting and trapping and playing word games uh, that he does but especially his hunting and trapping and everything else that he does with his bow and his sword out in the field he's, uh, he's a big doer a maker and a doer this is western civilization This is what distinguishes Western civilization from every other civilization that has ever existed. And there are a couple of ancient ones that are like it. And of course, which which would they be? They would be Greece and Rome. The two cultures who primarily form Edom. You know, the culture into which Esau uh, and his qualities evolved. Esau, he is Edom. Esau, hu Edom. We are told not once, not twice, but three times in chapter 36, um, in chap- at the end of Parsha Vaishlach, chapter 36 of Genesis. Esau, who Edom and we know from millennia of commentaries at Dom and we see it in behavior we don't have to rely on the prophets and the sages we see it writ large in the history of the last 3,000 years or 20, 2,600 years the culture of Europe is the culture of making of doing of productivity of dynamism uh, dynamism in Constructing, in building, in war, attacking, aggressive, imperial, but not just savagely imperial like the Mongols, who washed over you know in in, in waves periodically for a millennium, from whatever were well, 400s C.E. until through the last time till almost 1400. That's a thousand years, but they created nothing. They washed over a sea of marauding barbarians. They settled down in Hungary. That's why it's called Hungary. Two waves, the Huns, Huns and the Magyars, both coming more or less from Mongolia, East Central Asia. They washed over everything, they attacked everyone from Japan to France. Now, that, that's an aggressive empire, but as terms of creating lasting social structures or technology or or even languages with the partial exception of Hungarian nothing, creating nothing lasting. Edom Europe is unique. It builds. It, yes, it attacks. Military technology is awesome. The war, if if the, the, the leaders who rule Edom today wanted to win the war on terror, the war on terror Meaning, of course, as we all know, the war on jihad, meaning the war on Islam, really. Muslims are not embarrassed about saying what this war is. The descendants of Ishmael. This war would have been over three and a half years ago, you know. What it would have been over within a week of when Edom decided to fight it, if they decided to fight it. But as we know from Esau's marriage, not only with the Canaanites, but with the daughters of Ishmael literally um, Mitzrayim and Canaan being brothers um, we know that this war is not going to be fought the Torah tells us it's not going to be fought just as even if you know nothing of Torah or even those poor souls who believe nothing of Torah who never want, don't want to hear about a word of scriptures all you have to do is follow the headlines and follow the news with a very little, a few grains of discernment, and you can see this is clearly a war that is a non-war. It's a fake. The war on terror is certainly not about the leaders of Edom. is certainly not about Western civilization striking back with a war at at uh, jihad giving them a dose of what was given to Germany and Japan in the 40s, a week and it would be over. We have something very else different going on that was prefigured by the intermarriage of Esau with Ishmael and Canaan and after all Ishmael, uh, Ishmael and Esau are very similar. What were we told about Yishmael? That he is the wildness, he's human wildness Para Adam, he's human savagery or human wildness, or in that phrase Para Adam, I think it's chapter sixteen, partial lech uh, lecha, uh, Para Adam. Adam is used as we know in Hebrew; the adjective comes second. It's, so we have a noun of condition. They call it is wildness or savagery or animalism all of those uh, nouns of condition would probably fit so of course uh, his hand against every man and every man's hand against him very very similar to Esau who will live by the sword and you could almost say of course you could see them converging and you could also see them going away and away and away from their parents and from the covenant Hashem made with their parents and their father's households okay ADOM European culture of which England and by extension America is a part a unique part I don't know how much we'll have chance to talk about that today next course probably a little bit more but America is a part a unique part and, and that's a that's a big that's a huge story right there but nevertheless still apart that is the culture of doing of Asa the the root of Aesop's name the culture that makes and does the productive culture it makes diplomatic initiatives extremely detailed and elaborative peace plans peace conferences peace treaties and uh, we we saw in Versailles and we saw we we saw in Oslo, we saw with the roadmap, what these tend more and more to become. Lo and behold, people, what do we see? What do we see? More and more, these elaborately made, these elaborately done deals, these outcome based, highly crafted deals between Edom and Ishmael are all targeted at Yaakov at the children of Israel and the land of Israel and at the covenant between the Ain Sof the Eternal One and the people he selected because they selected him and because of the way they behave. When faced with at crucial decisions in their life, when Rivka had distress in her beten, she didn't go running out to a Canaanite sorceress or sorcerer Imagine where they were living. There was she probably could have found twenty magicians within a half-hour walk of where they were settled in Ma in the plains of Mamre by Hebron which is Hebron no she turned to Hashem just the way Avraham turned to Hashem just the way Eliezer the servant of Abraham, turned to Hashem for strength, for guidance and with a blessing when he went on his mission to find a wife for Yitzhak just the way Yitzhak insisted that, uh, that uh, Yaakov would remain in, would remain blessed because once his eyes were opened so to speak and he saw which son was really which he finally realized the, te- the plain text makes this clear that he the one who got the blessing was the one who in fact sh- indeed as the, the translation um, indeed should have gotten the blessing all along just as Rivka knew. Well, um, because they chose him. English, the English language is a wonderful language. It is, in a way, it is the greatest language in the world. We are so blessed to speak English as our native tongue. It has by far the largest vocabulary of any language in the world. The degree of denotative specificity, your ability to distinguish, to articulate, to focus on a detail in a diagram in a part of the environment, in a game you're playing, in a concept you're elaborating, is is virtually infinite in English it is a dream language for denotative specificity as well as being a language capable of innumerable overtones of numberless harmonic capabilities to use a musical term but it's a language that's perfect for doers for people who make for people who want to make and uh, to uh, to apply what their their thoughts to give them a physical form to move them around in the world to affect the world and shape the world and create the world to the extent that there's a snare because they can come to think that they are their creators and there is no one else but me who is Hashem the peace treaty is my own I made it to paraphrase Paro this is the snare for the Eng- English speaking cultures as a whole and this is why it is not a coincidence uh, that the anglophone that is the English speaking nations have had a uniquely close relationship with the Jewish people for 350 years minimum actually 400 years plus going back to at least one generation before the first settlements English settlements in America in 1620 just 25 miles from where I'm sitting speak of the one in Boston uniquely close relationship with the Jewish people but one that is like I said paradoxical and filled with conflicts here we have Hebrew the language that came to be the language of the Jewish people the, language, the, the pure and holy tongue Lashon Kodesh one of whose main principles, along with freedom and graciousness and love, is Hivdil, separation. You separate, everything has its own integral identity. If it loses that, you get chaos. You know, postmodernism, when you have jumbled together, you have conglomerations of fragments jammed together, willfully jammed together. The theorists of postmodernism love to talk about th- talk about their uh, assemblages as willful, as egotistic products of their own will and imagination. Um, but it's kind of it's the pr- it's the principle of separation taken towards taken in the direction of fragmentation, and uh, the next step, the last step, of course, is a return to chaos. In the other way, in the other direction, the opposite direction, Havdil and Nifa, winnowing leads to integrity, the separation of distinct nations, distinct peoples with distinct characteristics, distinct languages, distinct history, distinct lineage and memory and sense of identity and purpose. English-speaking cultures are drawn in two different directions uh, towards fragmentation and through the Protestant Reformation which uh, took a uh, form in England that tied itself particularly closely to the Hebrew Scriptures toward the Jewish people. There's a profound uh, split here. Uh, but I think we see if we step back and we look at the forest and not at the trees so to speak uh, what we see is that the, the essential characteristic the identity of Asof, the root the letters in his name we could say the letters that show what's inside of his DNA the root Iyn Shin Hay, would probably significant too that the Hay is replaced by a Bob. Uh, You'd probably write a book on that. But that that the root of his name uh, has taken him has overpowered all the cultural, historical, and religious connections between anglophone culture and the Jewish people, such that the elites. The rulers of the Western nations, and I'm and especially of the two main uh, Anglo-American nations, which is America and England, are leading, are are explaining, and developing, and defending the indefensible peace plan, which is really a death to Israel plan, which is really which is really going to destroy everything that is vital living, uh, and uh, Somach supporting in their own uh, cultures. Now very briefly I want to read to you a paragraph from the Zohar because I want to talk about the opposite. We've talked uh, about everybody but Laban in terms of what's on the board today uh, for today's lesson. I want to talk about the opposite of uh, of Asa as a principle of making and fragmentation. Remember Daniel's vision of Nebuchadnezzar's colossal statue. Remember the feet, the ankles and the feet, of iron and clay, and we know the the English expression, American expression, feet of clay, the composite beast, or a composite culture which cannot stand, you can only have an integral culture, we now have a postmodern culture that's trying to glorify fragmentation, which is probably, and in, in, you know, in, to make an analogy to a h- human life is kind of like the death rattle before the death. Sorry, but that's um, the way it's out. The other, the opposite principle, integrity or shleimut, to be shalem, to be whole, integral, uh, not to go, not to be dominated by what you make and do, even though everything you make and do is essential, but to be dominated by the principle of integrity and wholeness and orienting yourself towards the Creator and that your support should be uh, from the Creator. Here's the, a few line, just a few lines from the Zohar. It's on this Parsha. That's why I found it. It's on Parsha Toldot. The Zohar Uh, section 134b on the book on Bereshis and it says whoever labors in the Torah upholds the world why does whoever labors in the Torah uphold the world? Quote: because he enables each part of the world to perform its function it integrates all the parts that Hashem made a hadil." he discriminated he separated he gave each an individual identity in the creation but it's it's a whole it's one body all the parts have to work together they must not lose their individual identity like in a Dionysiac orgy where you drink and have sex or today you take drugs until you lose your individual consciousness and seem to melt into a communion into one being no you're a harmonized part you're harmonized by being part of the whole and performing your own distinct function the Noahides their functions the Jews their function for there is not and here's the analogy the Zohar makes there is not a member in the human body but that has its counterpart in the world as a whole just as man's body consists of members and parts to form one organism so does the world as a whole together form literally one organic body. Thus the whole is organized on the scheme of the Torah which also consists of sections and divisions which fit into one another perfectly to form one organic body. This and then they quote David from Psalm 104 Okay, Western civilization has been drawing on this Jewish metaphor pretending that it's a Greek metaphor for 2,000 years you know you can't go you can't turn you can't walk four amot to use a Hebrew expression you can't walk three paces in Western uh, philosophy especially political philosophy without running across the metaphor of the human body is an organic whole of many parts working together as a model for the polity as a whole well there you go you heard it here first in the sages uh, uh, of the Zohar Uh, based all as you know on the Mishnaic sages like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Okay, there's the principle of wholeness but there's another word look under uh, item 2 Somach Smichun and um, the word smuchin in Hebrew means evidence or support or reference but there is a specific hang with me just a few more minutes this is a a key concept and a beautiful one I'm going to read you a verse from the Tehillim which illustrates it perfectly from from Psalm 111 in a moment smichun from the root samach to support like the, the noun, you know, support, somech, wonderful word. But samach, uh, samach mem, chaf, to spell it out. Smuchin means evidence or reference, but there's a specific term of art in Torah interpretation and analysis. Uh, one of the principles of Torah analysis is called smuchim with an M on the end like Miriam Smuchim means the interpreting the Torah by the lo- ancient established laws of contextual evidence everything must be understood in context this is the opposite of Esau and of Edom's approach to the world which is look at a part make every part work specialize to the nth degree have a have a lab or a or a workbench, a, a, a garage or a little tool shed like I do. I wish it was organized. I should I should get a real ASOF to organize it for me, with uh, 400 different compartments and every piece is in its place. But it's fragments. It doesn't work together, and ultimately, it's, what you get is postmodernism, and you get decadence, and you get an attack on the opposite principle of Shalem and Smuchim which is everything in context no part can exist outside of this context Smuchim where do we see this word? in Tehillim 111 verse 8 Smuchim la'ad li'olam Asuim be'emet Yashar. You're going to be amazed when I translate this for you, if you haven't already translated. If you, if you, maybe you've turned to it. There, he's referring the the psalmist is referring to the works of Hashem and all the works of his hands, Maaseh. There's that there's that key word. It's the root of Aesop's name, Maaseh, works, plural, the works of the, his hands, Hashem's hands. Are truth and justice. Emes umishpat. And smuchim la'ad liolam. They are steadfast forever. Smuchim, the term of art, which means contextual criticism, which means you can't understand how one part supports the whole. You cannot understand the truth and the justice and the righteousness and the rachamnim the mercy and, and the kindness of Torah and the works of Hashem which are all in the Torah without smuchim outside of their context you have to look at the context meaning you always have to look for words you have to look for roots you have to look for the same word in a slightly different context to look to look for the relationships between the parts without which you do not have truth you will never get to truth How can you understand the truth about Israel's, about Jewish people being in the promised land if there's no context from the first half of the 20th century? If you don't know about the League of Nations mandate to Britain? How can you understand that if you don't know the history of the Jewish people's settlement of the land and attempts to settle the land not only during its increasing desolation under the heel of Yishmael but under Edom if you don't know the history and archaeology of Israel in ancient times before Edom Esau who Edom Rome, destroyed the first temple of which there is abundant history a fellow like Jim Long the author wrote a wonderful book the riddle of the exodus uh, setting forth just some of that evidence so they the works of his hands And what are the works of his hands? Truth and justice are steadfast. Smuchim. Context gives you steadfastness enough to hold up an entire world. It gives you steadfastness like what's in the Torah. Look at the end of the verse. Asuyim, the emet, the yashar. For eternity, they are uh, they are made in truth and uprightness or fairness. Yashar. At the end of, in the last, um, they are made in the last clause of that verse 8 of Psalm 111, you have the roots of the names of both Esau and Yaakov. Or you have the nickname, Yaakov's nickname, even better. And that's just the way it should be. You have the title, Yisrael, the root of the title, Yasha, that the almighty himself the creator of the universe gave to Jacob he named him Yisrael as we sing in, the, in our services and it's a verse from the, several verses from the prophets the root of Yisrael one way to, to read it the main way is Yashar Yashar El the God's upright one God's fair and true one to give it secondary and third meanings they are made, how can asaf and the qualities of asaf the qualities of making and doing how can they be steadfast forever how can they acquire the truth and justice of Hashem that upholds the entire world, all of us and everything around us the MS the yashar with smuchim the MS the yashar in context, they are steadfast, in truth and righteousness and truth and fairness so that Tehillim 111 verse 8 takes us right to the very center it takes us to the origins to the pre, to the DNA to the inner to the DNA of the DNA the Hebrew letters that are within these two people who yet in the according to the principles of the eternal one as understood by Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov and all the the and all the children of Israel uh, uh, waits to see how people behave waits to see the choices that people made when they're faced with a challenge a challenge from their you know limited human capabilities limited human strengths and of course our human weaknesses he waits to see or Hashem the Eternal One waits to see how we behave and uh, to him it's no surprise but to us we have a surprise and we have the capacity even to change what is one of our main if not the main capacities to change by learning what is this very lesson teach us at the end now that I'm saying as to how to learn best in context always always in context and context means you have to recognize the unique identity of individual parts don't pretend that radically different people are uh, similar even much less the same recognize them for who they are and put them together in a way that uh, they will dwell in the tents of the one who can uh, uphold truth and fairness forever so we can all live uh, lives that are as humane and godly as possible how beautiful that would be so thank you uh, for joining me and us here tonight. Uh, I hope you will have a beautiful week, a uh, healthy and a strong week with a lot of learning. Basmuhim and Basimcha, uh, and that I will uh, be with you again a week from this time, the uh, Ezrat Hashem, Shalom Toda, toda. So, Dah. Hashem should bless you.